ones out there. Happy Halloween. Hope everybody's uh, in full gear, watching tons of horror, reading tons of horror comics. In this last Sunday before Halloween, got a special one for you. I've got my buddy Jeremiah Jones Goldstein with me, and he and I are going to cover the first three issues of Doorway to Nightmare. Yep, we're going to be covering that seminal but often forgot series as well. I feel like some people don't give it enough love, but we're going to give it its due right here, right now, and cover the first three issues of this series for everybody's, uh, hopefully, uh, enjoyment and pleasure. So stay tuned, and we'll begin after a quick break. There's no ghost in here. Well, we know he came in. There's something on that table. Hey, this might be a clue. It's a book on crystallomacy. Crystallomacy? I used to know a crystal nerdlinger. It's not a girl, silly. It's a book about how to use a crystal ball. You mean the kind of fortune teller uses? Right. Welcome back to the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. I'm starting a new series here, and this is going to be a, a little bit of a quickie. This isn't going to be a long, ongoing one. Uh, we're going to knock this one out in just a couple of episodes here. Uh, my guest and I are going to cover Doorway to Nightmare, the five-issue series plus the one-shot. And uh, we're going to cover it in grand fashion here because we both had a blast reading this. And uh, it's uh, it's going to be a good one here, right, uh, buddy? It's uh, my buddy Jeremiah here. Hey, th thanks, Billy. Yeah, this is a good series. Um, it's one I've been wanting to read for a while. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. Good, good, good horror stuff. Yeah. I had a couple, I had the one shot for a long time. I don't even remember where I got it. I think it might've been at a, a shop where it was just like a couple bucks. And I was like, Whoa, this is awesome looking, you know, a couple bucks I'm getting it. And I loved it. And I thought, well, I'm going to go back and grab these other five. And they proved a little tougher to obtain, um, <laughs> especially at an affordable price. <laughs> yeah definitely i i picked up the the one shot at a, at a nice price not too long ago um but i only have one issue one physical copy of doorway to nightmare because they are a bit harder to find and you know mm -hmm. with the number first appearance there it, it can be pretty expensive yeah i think all together the five issues probably cost me about 25 bucks the first one being the most expensive i think i got it for 10 bucks it's a lower grade copy but it's complete and it it looks pretty good and it's all there and nothing's falling out or whatever so i thought wow 10 bucks is pretty good because a lot of the people that were putting them up for auction were getting 20 25 30 dollars for it so it was like oh buy it now for 10 bucks i'll take it <laughs> yeah exactly and the other ones i think most of them i got for under five bucks you know five or less a piece so that's not too bad but yeah it's a I don't know if it wasn't a high print run or something, or it's just a you know a series people really like a lot. But yeah, even the issues two, three, four, and five are, uh, are can be a little pricey. So, all right, well, yeah, let's uh, jump into this here. So, uh, Doorway to Nightmare number one. So, this is a cover dated January, February, nineteen seventy eight, and uh, wow, uh, all the covers I will say for this series are done by Mike Kaluta, and I really like his horror stuff. And this is a really, really good cover here. What do you think of this cover? The covers are, I mean, they're great comics, great stories. But the covers to the whole series are definitely one of the highlights of the mm -hmm. book itself. I mean, they are really, really excellent. Um, this, the number one where she's sitting there and holding the tarot cards, uh, 
it, I mean, it's just a fantastic cover. The hair, it, 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 you can't say enough good stuff about it. Mm, yeah, she's sitting in some kind of crazy chair that has like, you know, the, the cloth part of it is red. And then behind the doorway to Nightmare logo, which looks fantastic, by the way, Nightmare's in, you know, orange with like yellow all around it. And there's a purple background behind that. But the chair she's sitting in looks crazy. It's got like these insane demons on it. Like, wow, there's a lot of really, really good detail in this. There really is. And that that seems to be one of the hallmarks of um, his work in that it is it's highly detailed, but it's 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 stunning in the way that um, it just pops off the page. I mean, that purple background really makes all the other colors just look great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really, really good cover. And like you said, there's Madame Xanadu and she's got these wild earrings on and like a, a some kind of choker and holding the death tarot card. And then uh, it says a new experience in the occult. And yeah, great, great detail to this cover. It's, you know, like you said, all the covers for this are fantastic. You can gush about them all day. But uh, yeah, something I didn't realize when I first started picking these up that every issue has a different creative team on it. It's almost as like there's not really any continuity from one you know issue to the next. It's almost like five one-shots, right? Yeah, and you know, I, I didn't know much about the series going into this, and that kind of struck me too, because I thought um, Dave Michelini wrote all, of, all the issues, and then I'm like, no, oh, wait a minute, that's a different writer. And so I, I, it, this felt like DC was doing another anthology book, you know, and they were going to have different creators on it all the time. So I, and I think that was to the advantage, at least of these, of the stories they did publish mm-hmm. before it got canceled. Yeah. I almost thought to myself, I wonder why they just didn't put it in like house of mystery or something, but yeah, who knows? You know what I mean? I, I, I love it. So <laughs> I, I'm good with it either way, but yeah, like you said, this one, uh, this first one was uh, scripted by David Michelini. And the artwork was by Val Merrick and colors Elizabeth Safian and letters Ben Oda. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, we'll just jump right into this here. I'll just do a little quick synopsis and then we'll get right into the issue itself. Um, So on a quiet New York street, we see a storefront that reads Madame Xanadu advisor. And we see said woman inside as she's tidying up. Cindy Barnes comes in for some advice about her failing relationship with her lover, Brad Jacobs. After a whirlwind relationship, Brad begins to seem as if his health is failing and not getting along too well with his lover, the mysterious Erica. I'm sorry, his mysterious former lover, Erica. So, all right, well, why don't we jump right into this one? So on the very first page there, uh, wow. You know, I do know Val Mayerick quite a bit uh, from his work, mostly at Marvel, though. But uh, really, really cool one here, Doorway to Nightmare and the storefront and all. What do you think of that page? Oh yeah, it, it's it's a real nice opening, very mood setting. Um, it, you know, the, it's the, it's the colors on it are nice. It, it's a well detailed building, and you just get the kind of feeling that you know there's a little something more to uh, what's behind these doors because of the way the you know the, the windows are darkened and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's a nice launch to this this story for sure. Yeah, and I love how uh, David Michelini starts out with some, you know, purple prose here on the page, too. I just, you know, it's the it's the image, and it says Doorway to Nightmare with the credits there at the bottom. And then, you know, there's three uh, caption boxes, and it says, perhaps you've passed it before. 
taking no notice. And indeed, it does blend well with the other myriad little shops along Christie Street. The cluttered window displays, the signs proclaiming knowledge of the esoteric and the occult, all fit snugly into the exotic lifestyle of New York's old East Village. However, had you by chance heeded the intriguing invitation on the door, it may still have done you little good, for mere curiosity seekers most often find the shop locked, while those in genuine need ever seem to find it open and waiting. For this is an emporium of truth, and while to some it can be the gate to the world of realized dreams, to others must ever remain a terrible doorway to nightmare. <laughs> so I love that. That kind of stuff's great. I, it is great, and it's you know it's not it's not over the top, and it's definitely fitting with a book of the era. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I like is that you know curiosities curiosity seekers most often find the shop locked. And they play on that in each issue and that the, you know, when these people come into the store, um, it's like they're there for a reason, you know, mm -hmm. um, and it it's just a nice. He lays that foundation right there in the, the beginning and then it they stick with it through the whole, you know, each issue. Right? Who knows if they would have stuck with it if it made 100 issues. But, you know, yeah. the, the ones we did get, they it's nice that 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 carries through that these people were somehow drawn to, to her. Yeah. And there are some running themes through each issue. And one of them, and I really love this is, uh, I mean, the whole inside of the shop looks fantastic, no matter who the artist is, which issue we're talking about here, but uh, almost every one of them, if not all of them, there's a section in her shop here where there are a bunch of shelves with jars on them. And in this one, you don't necessarily see what's in the jars. Now, I don't know if Val Mayrick did that on purpose or, you know, that's just, you know, he was just told to draw some kind of jars with, you know, whatever in them. So it's really kind of uh, obscure looking that you can't tell what's in them if he did that on purpose or he just was drawing jars with, you know, some different shades in them. But those jars are going to be something we see uh, more than once through the series, right? Yeah. And that that's one of the other cool things about the series is that she seems to... I don't know. She's a collector of some kind. You know <laughs> what I mean? So like she, almost like she's this storyteller who has all these stories captured in jars that she can just bring out whenever she needs for whatever she needs. So, yeah, it, it, it's a cool thing that actually the imagery works really well. Yes. And these being late 70s, I love the clothing <laughs> all the uh, characters have on. And no matter who mm -hmm. the artist is, they always draw Madame Sanadu as like super sexy as well. <laughs> so I don't know if they're yep. trying to, you know, riffing on Vampirella a little bit there with this, you know, like sexy black haired woman kind of thing with some skin showing here and there. Nothing's like over the top or terrible or anything like that. But it's a that's that's a good running theme through here, too. But, yeah, I, I love the and again, the dialogue too, the dialogue and the uh, clothing. It just it fits that era perfectly. And it's it just makes it even better for me. And in in this one in particular, Barrick's art, while the characters have a sexiness to them, there's also something very realistic about them, mm -hmm. the bodies he draws. You yeah. know, they they're not they're certainly not overly sexed, but there's no. there's a realism to the to the figures he draws, especially when there's a fair amount of, of flesh exposed. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's just something I appreciated. In his in this issue, a little bit more so than the other the other four. The, yeah, realism is the the word the word that comes to mind the, the best. There's just something about it that 
because none, none of the women are are too perfect. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They, 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 there's age to them and things like that. So I think he did a real nice job in this in this issue. Yeah, he does great. I mean, like you said, they I don't know if he was using some reference for the characters in this, but yeah, it they they look like real regular everyday people. They don't look like, you know, supermodels or something like that. They just look like regular people that you would see on a New York street probably in the late 70s. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why more people don't talk about his artwork. He's a really good artist. I mean, I love uh for Marvel, he did some of the uh, uh Monster of Frankenstein. I think he did some of the color and a lot of the black and white, if not all the black and white from the Bronze Age in the magazines. And then uh, he did a few issues of uh, the supernatural thrillers with uh, the mummy. Oh, I love that stuff. Nice. Yeah, real good artist. So, all right. But yeah, so now we get into this and (laughs) this uh, this woman, this Cindy Barnes here, she comes in to see uh, to see Madame Xanadu. And of course, she already kind of has an idea once these people walk in what they're all about like not maybe every specific detail of their life but she right out of the gate shows that she does have some kind of uh uh you know uh, mystical kind of uh power to be able to i don't want to say read their minds but kind of at least get a a bit of a read on them yeah definitely as as the characters come into the shops cindy barnes she says well i don't even know why i'm here and she madam xanadu identifies her by name just she just knows it there's like you know, she it's almost that fortune teller kind of thing, mm-hmm. like, you know, I know why you're here, but it's played a little more subtle in this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's 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 her the way she talks about why the customers in the shop isn't over the top. It's it's um it's just neat. It, 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 Michelini does a nice job writing that. Yeah, absolutely. He's another guy like, you know, just what you're saying about Val Merrick too. another guy that I just I love his stuff. You know, I haven't even read the majority of his stuff, but especially his stuff from the, the bronze and, the, you know, copper ages really, really like his stuff. And, yeah, I do love how, like you said, <laughs> she kind of knows some things about her, her name and then says, you know, uh, she wants to uh, tell a story. And she says, if we're to help him. And, of course, uh, the, this, this Cindy is just like him. How did you know? And she's like, call it feminine intuition if you feel a label necessary. Now, please sit, talk, and I will search the cards for answers. And they sit down at this table, and it's got a candle burning at it there. And I do like that panel on uh, page three there. It's there's really it's a very plain panel, but I think it, it really you know drives home what they're trying to you know show you here with uh, the cards and you know the shadow there. I really like that panel. And then of course the one next to it with uh, Cindy there, where it's kind of a close up just on her face and hair. I think Mal- Val Merrick did great there. Yeah, I agree one hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And then we see her saying how uh, she first came to New York, you know, as a an actress basically looking for work. And uh, <laughs> she found out how it's, you know, not as easy as you think, even if you are a good actress to get work. And she said <laughs> she finally did get a good job. And she said about arguing with, uh, you know, I guess it's the director about some of the lines. So uh, she basically walked out and quit, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. But I guess somebody else from the uh, office TV show or a Broadway show, I guess, maybe you know, kind of said to her, like, hey, you know, don't take off. You know, I guess there was a guy there that kind of uh, noticed her. His name is uh, Brad Jacobs. He's one of Broadway's hottest playwrights. <laughs> yeah, he, he I, th- I I got the impression he was the writer for the play she, or the thing she walked out on. Yeah. It, like, he, he says something about, you know, oh, I thought you were doing a great job. The director doesn't know what he's talking about, whatever. 
So yeah, mm-hmm. they they go through this relationship that builds between the two of them pretty well. Yeah, really good good stuff by Michelini and great stuff visually here, where you know it shows them basically, uh, you know, getting to know each other and getting into a relationship and uh, really really good stuff. And then uh, then we see that there's uh, somebody else that uh, had been previously kind of uh, I guess dating him as well. This Erica and. Uh, she uh she's an interesting figure so as she's telling madame xanadu about this all of a sudden uh there's somebody at the door and madame xanadu says hush child there's something and we see somebody right outside the door madame xanadu opens the door and it's that erica and i find that pretty wild yeah that 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 was one of the few things that kind of struck me a little funny as i was reading this that's like well that's an odd way it's an odd way to go with the story but that makes it not predictable. I mean, I didn't see mm-hmm. this coming. So, yeah, it was really cool because then I'm thinking to myself, is this, you know, is this Erica, some kind of mystic or, you know, what what's her deal? It seems a little too convenient that she just showed up right there. Was she following Cindy around or what's going on here? And <laughs> she does say about this, all this, don't be taken in by all this occult mumbo jumbo. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Cindy says, her, I know what I'd like to grab. You redheaded mink, your throat. <laughs> I love that. And yeah, Madam Xanadu just says, stay calm, Cindy Barnes. You don't have to leave until you want to. Does she, Erica? And then Erica and Madam Xanadu kind of have this uh, face off here where they're staring at each other. And the capture box says, for the chill length of a heartbeat, two staunch figures stand staring, locked in a silent stretch taut by the strain of unspoken challenge. And then all of a sudden, Erica just leaves. Okay, have it your way, you know. See you later. And, you know, that that's right there. It's kind of like telling you, hey, something's going to happen down the line here with this Erica, right? Yeah, and it worked. You know, it it, it really did. It was really kind of neat that in the, the four panels or five panels that she's in right here, mm. you get the impression that, oh, maybe something is going on. Because Madame Xanadu seems to know more than she's letting on, which is kind of a, a reoccurring theme throughout all these stories and generally – her character in general, that she's always got, you know, unspoken knowledge. But yeah, that panel where the two of them are staring at each other, and you know, that you really get the feeling that something's like, oh, this is heavy. <clears throat> this isn't just, you know, some, you know, I don't know, cat fight for lack of a better word. There's more to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we see, uh, you know, Cindy then continues to tell her story and then says about how Brad starts getting all weak and shaky and, you know, acting like he's like almost like physically ill and she thinks something's wrong. So she starts kind of following him around when uh, they're not together when she sees him hanging out with, as she puts it, Erica and her freaky friends. <laughs> and it shows them like all in these like black trench coats going into uh, an alleyway. And she kind of uh, calls him out about it. And he like flips out and yells at her. And, you know, of course, uh, you know, she doesn't know what's going on, but she keeps, you know, diving into this more and more. And it says about how she followed them again. And she says, only now I wish I hadn't because I found them in Erica's loft. And right there, right in front of all of her leering weirdo friends, they they were <laughs> it shows like two figures kissing. And wow, again, page nine there when you turn around onto that page, you know, you flip the page because uh, there's a uh, some ads in between that next page where uh, Madame Xanadu says there's no need to go on, child. I understand. Wow. What do you think of that page from, you know? You know, Michelini's uh, dialogue and you know, visually storytelling as well. Yeah, it's it was it's it's something because I, I I'm reading it on the app without the um, 
without the ads and I'm reading it panel by panel. So as it goes through and then you get to that one after what, you know, she's alluding to the fact that this is some kind of weird sex party swinger thing. And uh-huh. then you see the look on Madame Xanadu's face as this poor <laughs> Cindy Barnes is just sobbing. Um, it's just, it's a fantastic panel. Well, and one of the things that stands out in this comic, like many of the era, there there are full detailed backgrounds mm-hmm. in these panels. These aren't, you know, two figures on a solid color. So, I mean, you really get the impression that this shop is is dimly lit. You know, the candles have that much of effect, and there's there's a lot of shadowing on the, the characters' faces. It's it's really well done and striking. Yeah, yeah. The like I said, the the dialogue, you know, is fantastic, and the, the visual storytelling is there too. It's it's really a good issue. But you know, she kind of tells uh, Cindy that she's going to try to help her, but he's she says there's great evil here, and I must consult before proceeding. And she says, so I advise you to wait to do nothing until I say. I will contact you tonight. And uh, she leaves the shop and then she, it says, uh, wait, Madam Xanadu had said, but Cindy Barnes is a woman in love as much as, and such is quite certain that she has waited long enough. So <laughs> of course she doesn't wait and she shows up at uh, Brad's place and he's really deranged here. You know, she says uh, that she's going to leave Brad and he's like, leave. And he starts like flipping out. And then he comes and says to her, the reason he's hanging out with Erica is because she's dying. And then I'm thinking, oh, okay, maybe there's not something wrong here with uh, Erica. Maybe, you know, there is something like maybe she's an old girlfriend and she's sick and she's dying. And that's why, you know, he's kind of getting, you know, schnookered in with her here because, you know, he's feeling sorry for her. So that kind of threw me for a loop here. Yeah. And the the based on the the reactions which are very soap opera like i mean it's really the drama really is done well um it's that's exactly what you think right that mm-hmm. oh you know this is you know he's doing it to be a nice guy but on the other hand in the art you can see his his hair is disheveled compared to how he was appeared earlier his eyes are sunken he looks sickly so it's it's almost like well there's what's going on here is he just stressed out because this woman's dying or is it like we thought there's something else that's a little uh, hinky going on <laughs> despite, yeah. despite what he tells us yeah he then tells us it's hard to believe but a few months ago Erica found out that she had cancer the doctor said it was terminal and that there was nothing medical science could do so she turned to the metaphysical and found a way of restoring her damaged cells through an ancient process involving soul energy. Unfortunately, that process requires a donor. And then you see a, a, a panel where it looks like, you know, it's through glass maybe, and it's like raining. And you see uh, Cindy, and she just says, oh, my Lord. Because obviously he's starting to look more and more sickly. He's the donor. So, uh, you know, now she doesn't know what to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just yep. she, she doesn't know what to do. She, she says, Brad, I can't believe that. Just look at yourself. Look at what she's doing to you. And he says, for God's sake, Cindy, I'm saving a woman's life. And he says, and anyway, there's only one more session before the restoration cycle's complete. And after that, I'll be fine, I promise. And Cindy says, then there's nothing I can say, nothing I can do. And uh, she walks out on him. And then she goes running down the street in the pouring rain here. And there's a panel there on page 11 as well where uh, Erica's right around the corner watching her. Yeah, and so we... 
you know, we're, we're, we still can't believe everything that he says. There's, there's certainly more, more going on here. And this, you know, the, the look on Erica's face as she watches Cindy run away, runs away definitely confirms that for us. Yeah, and then on page 12 here, you know, Cindy goes back to her apartment to start kind of just, you know, getting ready to go to bed and all this stuff. And holy smokes. So <laughs> Val Merrick, <laughs> he draws Cindy <laughs> in this one panel in this uh, <clears throat> little nighty here. And she's not, it doesn't have much going on. It's like sheer and everything. <laughs> I was just like, well, I wasn't ready for this. And then uh, Madame Xanadu shows up and, you know, they start kind of uh, talking about what's going on. But before they can really get too involved in it, this insane demon comes out of her tea kettle. Yeah, this 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 was wild. You're and you're right. That 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 outfit she has on is like <laughs> if that's what she wears to bed on a, when she's alone. Holy cow! Yeah, that, that's certainly a little over the top. What does but she then, put on yeah, when Brad comes over? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, whoa, exactly. <laughs> um, so what I said about you know realism earlier on. I mean, her figure is still quite realistic, but. But yeah, there's, then there's this weirdo demon coming out of the steam and everything is just, it's something. And, and she's horrified, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's super, super scared. And I love this panel here where, you know, the, the demon like comes toward them. And Madame Xanadu just pulls off her like cape here or whatever you would call that. I'm not sure. And just kind of like whips it around and it's gone. I was like, whoa, yep. that was really cool. That's kind of a kind of a badass moment there. I like it. Yeah, and that, and that that's almost as much action as we get out of Madame Xanadu in the the whole series. Here is is this <laughs> is this scene right wrapping up the demon and trapping him in whatever this thing is that she traps him in. Yeah, it almost looks like a little snow globe or something yep. like that. And you know, Cindy's just like freaked out. She's like, "You made it disappear." And Madame Xanadu says, "Did I? Or perhaps it was what you saw merely an illusion caused by the light passing through the gift I brought you from my shop." I had thought the bobble might cheer you, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. And then <laughs> on the next page there, page 13, you know, she puts it on a table and there's the demon caught in it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's wild. I was like, holy crap. But yeah, it's a, uh, you know, they kind of have a quick conversation and, you know, Madam Xanadu kind of says, there's no time to explain, hurry up and get dressed. You know, if we're going to help Brad, we got to act quickly. And she's like, we, and she says, yes. It seems uh, your opponent is more formidable, formidable than I had thought. And I have a feeling you're going to need me. And, you know, the two of them then uh, go to, uh, I guess it would be Erica's place. And, you know, wow, page 14 there. As soon as you turn onto that page, you see this, like, insane ritual going on. There's, like, a pyramid-shaped thing with, like, light emanating from it. And we see Erica, and she's <laughs> she's not that – she's got even less on – than Cindy did yeah. in the in the uh, previous one, and she's uh, you know obviously performing this thing, which is like kind of stealing like Brad's like life energy here, and you know Cindy's like Brad, and uh, she says, "So lover boy, spill the ever popular beans, eh? No matter, his usefulness is almost over," and uh, you know she's basically says, "Yeah, like I'm I'm, I'm going to kill this guy so I can live," and you know she kind of says how. Uh, she says, uh, through a knowledge of proportional pyramid power known only to the family of the great pharaoh, the disease was checked. However, the process must be renewed every hundred years by a gradual influx of soul energy. So, yeah, she's been around for quite some time. Yeah. And I love I, I just love that they they call it pyramid power 
because it was when this came out and the occult was really becoming something people were interested in in the 70s and mm-hmm. um pyramid power was a, was a real thing that people talked about and you know read about and talked about so it, i love the fact that this this story is definitely of its time and that these things are incorporated in it you know soul mm-hmm. power pyramid power and you know egyptian mythology and things like that um it just works so well for the <clears throat> for for what's happening right here cuz this is obviously bananas with these all these bald dudes standing around and Brad's slowly dying <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's kind of creepy looking cuz she's yeah. like you know got Brad underneath this pyramid thing and then she like puts her arms around him and it's like what are these guys a bunch of peeping toms or like what's going on here yeah and they're never explained and mm. they're never talked about who they are right so no, I almost thought, is it like one of those uh, kind of like, you know, witch's coven kind of things where you need so many people there to pull off uh, a ritual or something like that? I guess I guess that's what it's all about. But, yeah, those those people never really do much of anything and nothing's explained. Yep. You know, and then, <laughs> you know, Cindy's like, oh, you know, I got to stop you. I'm going to help Brad. And the, the bald goons just kind of like hold her back. But then all of a sudden she says, Madam Xanadu, please help me. And she says, I'm sorry, Cindy Barnes. But in matters of the soul, my abilities are somewhat limited. I'm afraid I'm only allowed to advise. And she says, however, since the key to the problem seems to be that crystal pyramid, if somehow it were to be removed, and then Cindy grabs a pipe that's just laying there and chucks it at the pyramid, smashes it to pieces. And, uh, you know, uh, Erica's like, what? And all the onlookers are like, what's going on? And then, wow, holy smokes on that uh, next page there. That's that's really crazy, isn't it? Next to the last page there. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the, she smashes that pyramid, and then all of a sudden, the room apparently erupts into flames. Mm-hmm. These bald goons take off, <laughs> and Man- Madame Xanadu grabs Erica as she, I mean, melts. Yeah, <laughs> gross. It's God. it is pretty intense. Those two panels. I mean, it's it's like you know. You've chosen poorly and the end of the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yeah. That the, the first panel is, you know, she looks pretty gross. But that second yep. panel in the middle there, that's disgusting. That looks like like that's something out of like a 1950s like EC comic. Yes, that is, is very, very much so. <laughs> One of the eyeballs has fallen out of the socket. It's yep. so gross. But, you know, then outside later we see... Uh, Cindy and Brad and all's good. You know, they're all, everything's all cool now. Cause I guess she feels like, you know, he was kind of under Erica's spell and, you know, now everything's back to normal, which is cool. And then the two of them go to, uh, to visit the uh, shop and see Madame Xanadu. And at first, you know, when we see what's going on here, I kind of thought, what's the, uh, you know, what's going on in this jar here? Because again, we see her dusting and cleaning up at the shop and she's dusting the one jar and there's something red in it. And I'm thinking, oh, is that supposed to be like some of her hair or something, maybe? Yeah, I, I'm guessing that's what it's supposed to be. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. He... Yeah, the caption box says loosely curled length of vibrant red hair. So, yeah, it. Uh, no offense to Val Merrick. It doesn't really look like hair. It almost looks like more of a ribbon. But I guess yeah. that's kind of tough to pull off hair in a jar. Yeah. But, yeah, so that it ends. She's got the trophy in in the jar and it, there's obviously more jars on these shelves so she there's a 
there's a backstory here that's conveyed with the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and Brad miraculously doesn't seem to remember much of all that happened to him. Yeah. There's a, one of the things I like is that there's the romance between um, Brad and uh, what's Cindy. her face? Cindy. Yeah. It's it's done it's done really well in a com, comic booky romance way. Like their kiss on the previous panel was the the buildings burning down and in front of them. It, there's just something very very comic booky that that really hit for me in the, those last couple panels. Yeah, absolutely. And again, job well done here by uh, Dave McElhinney and uh, you know Val Merrick. Like I said, I don't. I, I feel like those guys kind of get a little uh, shortchanged when, you know, you talk about uh, creators, especially in the Bronze Age. And, you know, again, I, I've read and uh, uh, seen a bunch of uh, both of their work and really love it, you know, really, uh, really love it. So, you know, kudos to both of them with starting off this series with a bang here. I thought this was a really good issue. How about you? Yeah, I agree. Very good issue. Sets the tone for the comic well. Um, you know, they, they put the some nice things in there that get carried through. Um, and then, you know, sometimes you got to wonder because there is a different creator on um, each issue here and these things are carried through Joe Orlando, who who's the editor. Um, he was really on top of things, mm-hmm. you know, to, to keep that because I'm sure the creators talked, but, um, you yeah. know, he had he's the one who had to make sure that, you know, if there were notes they wanted to hit that the writers and artists hit them. So. Yeah, I'm assuming he's the guy behind, like, you know, saying to each, you know, writer and artist, hey, make sure you have a, uh, you know, some shelving in her shop that has a bunch of jars, because that's going to be an ongoing kind of theme through most of these issues. You know, I mean, I'm sure that was him. Yeah. So, so yeah, great, great way to start the series. Yeah, for, fantastic. So, all right, well, let's move on to issue number two. So we have Doorway to Nightmare 2, and this is cover dated March, April 1978. And uh, like we said earlier, of course, another Mike Kaluta cover here. And this one's, uh, this one's a, a bit different in its layout, but I, I feel it's it's just as good as the first one. It really is uh, really eye-catching here, really, with all these crazy, like, little demons or whatever, right? Yes, definitely. Um, again, there's the tarot card. Um, you have a colorful background that the the demons and Man- Madame Xanadu kind of pop right off of. She's got the this one. She's got sort of a smirk on her face that I mm-hmm. really appreciate. But yeah, the, her her hair is still beautiful. Um, but these demons, they're ju- they're they're creepy. It, it's a very good cover. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And you know, instead of just a close up on her face, we get a full you know body shot of Madame Xanadu, and she's in this like. I don't know if it's like a reddish or, you know, pinkish kind of color dress. And again, looks super sexy. And uh, with her left hand there, she's uh, maybe uh, based in New York City, but she's throwing up the old uh, West Coast there. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I noticed that about the. All right. So, yeah, this one is uh, uh, this one's a scripter, Jerry Conway. Uh, so, yep. again, another one of the big guns from the Bronze Age. And then uh, Pencils and Inks by Vicente Alcazar. And that's a name I know from some of the DC anthologies. And then I think, you know, a random issue here or there of, you know, some Marvel stuff as well. Not not a ton. I think it was mostly DC for him, but he did some Marvel work as well. And then uh, Colors by Adrian Roy and Letters by Ben Oda. Uh, so, uh, yeah, why don't we jump right into this one here? So uh, during a festival in Greenwich Village, we meet Douglas Holt and Melissa Mann, two lovers 
that we see head into Madame Xanadu's shop. She uses the tarot cards to inform Melissa that she's in grave danger, but Melissa accuses Douglas of arranging the entire thing. The next day, Melissa heads back to the lab where she works with Professor Hill. The two have an experiment that goes awry and opens a gate to a hell dimension. At this point, Melissa is possessed by a demon that eventually drives her insane. And then it's up to Madame Xanadu and Douglas to help her overcome it. So, all right, why don't we fire off right away here on this splash page? So, I don't know, man. I wish I would have lived in uh, Greenwich Village in the 70s because it seems like there was just like a party and all the time there. <laughs> yeah, and this issue, I, I forget which issue, if it's this one or um, the next one, that has the really great picture of the arch. But my parents were Methodist ministers right off the park um, in Greenwich Village in the 70s. Oh, no way. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. So, um, in the in the early seventies, a few years before this came out, and I was actually conceived in Greenwich Village, um, and born in cool. Brooklyn Methodist. So that these, what's neat about these is it really captures they the artists all really capture a nice feel of the way the vill the village looked. Um, of New York, the way it's portrayed in the 70s, crowded, a little dirty, um, <clears throat> but, you know, lots of neat-looking people and characters, lots of neat-looking places and buildings, um, and especially in this this opening splash. You had people everywhere. It looks like a party, um, lots of people. It, it's done really neat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a it's really good uh uh, splash page there it's uh, you know there's detail on all the people in the forefront and then even a little bit in the background too and you know, there's a there's like a you know a canopy over one of the businesses it says frank's hot pizza and there's a hot dog and everything there and you know there's like you know uh, banners in the background and that's where they uh, incorporated uh the creators here you know the writers and artists and you know, like you said joe orlando editing and stuff like that and then you know there's some you know pros up there as well letting you know about the festival in greenwich village and you know they they say it may well turn out to be a doorway to nightmare, and uh, yeah, they go into uh, into Madame Xanadu's shop here, and it's funny because uh, the uh, you know our uh, two main characters here, uh, Doug Douglas, he is you know kind of saying to Melissa like you know hey uh, yeah let's you know let's have a good time here, and he's more of a let's have a good time kind of guy, where Melissa's a little more. Uh, you know, a little more uptight and, you know, thinks this is kind of dumb and doesn't really want to hang out. And he's like, you know, hey, this is awesome. Like, let's uh, let's go check this out. And he goes, hey, let's go in here. And she's like, a fortune teller shop. You must be joking. And he goes, sure. I know it's unscientific. Right. And he goes, for once in your life, forget you're a physicist, will you? Besides, the place is so dark, it's probably closed. <laughs> but the door is open and uh, they go in. And, you know, since uh, it seems like he's been trying to get her away from you know, being so hardcore about her work, you know, kind of, Madame Xanadu kind of corroborates that and is like, yeah, you know, you're, you need to get away from uh, whatever you're into because something terrible is going to happen. So then she blames uh, Douglas and thinks he kind of set her up. Yeah. And, and it's neat. The, the, that first panel where Douglas is talking to her, you know, he's got a smile on his face and you really get the impression that he's kind of a, you know, I don't want to say a fun loving dude, but you know, he seems a little more laid back, you know, his, his collars open. Um, and he, he seems to just want, 
his his girlfriend here just to kind of relax and let herself go a little. Um, and it, it's it the look on his face is just like he's not being jerkish about it. It's like he just really kind of wants her to have a good time, you know? Yeah, he's kind of like, you know, hey, even if you don't believe in it, it's just, you know, let's have fun with it or whatever. And, yeah. You know, Melissa's kind of like, yeah, all right, whatever. You know, like I said, she's very, uh, very scientific, very, you know, um, I'm trying to think of a good <laughs> adjective to describe it, but just somebody that uh, has a tougher time having fun with just, you know, fun, silly stuff. Everything's kind of got to be serious for her, right? Yeah, she she's she's a little snarky about the tarot cards and like, you know, the whole fortune telling kind of thing. You know, she's, she's obviously skeptical and, but she's also, the, the, uh, she's got a tone where she's like putting it down at the same time, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Madam Xanadu then too, you know, says her that the cards mean, you know, you face a terrible change, Melissa, man, a disrupt, a disruption of your life and possibly your soul. You face mortal harm unless you turn from the path you have chosen and find renewal in life. Leave your pursuit of science. It can only end in disaster. And that's when she flips out and thinks that, you know, he, uh, you know, Douglas kind of, it wasn't an accident. They walked by and he said, hey, let's go in here. She thinks he kind of like it was a, it was a scheme that he made up, which is not true. Yeah, right. And she 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 very much overreacts to it. But then even even he gets pissed at it. Um because you know he feels like he's being blamed where he didn't do anything so just wanted her to you know have a good time um, mm-hmm. and he he yells at madame xanadu um which mm-hmm. is you know he, he's obviously upset yeah and she kind of says to him uh you need to listen to me because uh this isn't a hoax because i know i speak the truth and you know he she kind of says to him maybe i don't know anything more than you do and he's like, used to believe Melissa loved me, or I'm sorry, Douglas is saying that. So, you know, he kind of goes into, you know, how they had this, you know, great relationship going on, but how she's been spending more and more time at this uh, uh, lab uh, with this uh, Professor Hampton Hill. And he seems like he's probably old enough to be her dad, but he thinks they're into each other just because he seems like, you know, an uptight scientist like her. So she really likes him, but I think she likes him more of like, looks up to him on a professional level, but Douglas kind of thinks there's something else going on. Yeah. Yeah. We get that <laughs> hint. And it, you know, it, just like in the last issue, we sort of get that backstory from the person who needs the help. Um, so we're starting to see how the formula for the stories develops and mm-hmm. it's, it's all done quite well. It feels very natural that he's this upset that he would, you know, then share this with Madame Xanadu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, you know, we kind of uh, do a move ahead here to the two of them uh, in the lab, Melissa and this Professor Hill. And <laughs> I love this. This is on uh, page six where, you know, they're talking back and forth and Professor Hill kind of says to her, oh, like, hey, you know, the, the board is saying we're going to get kicked off of campus. You know, they don't like the work we're doing. And she's like, but why, Hampton? What possible reason could they give? And this is his exact words. He says, they say the work is dangerous. That we're tampering with forces beyond our knowledge. Forces better left alone. And then he says, the ignorant Philistines. <laughs> yeah. Love it. And of course, we don't know what their work is, other than we know she's a physicist. And there's obviously they're working on computers and things, you know, around machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we don't really know what's 
what they're trying to do or why the university would um, want them out other than they don't understand the work. Yeah, he eventually says it's called Project Doorway. And then he says he's trying to attempt to shatter the barriers of time and space to breach the wall separating our dimensions from other dimensions uh, of, of our cosmos. And he's like really getting into it here and going into this crazy speech. And then he tries to put the moves on Melissa and she's just like, uh, yeah, stop it. You know, you know, you know how I feel about sentimentality. <laughs> so he yeah, gets shot he, down. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, yes, of course. Forgive me, darling. It's just the excitement of this experiment. I quite forgot myself. And he kind of has a face on like he's like, damn, it didn't work. <laughs> 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 but she's like, shall we proceed? And they start going nutty and using these computers to do this and that. And then all of a sudden, her eyes get really big on the panel on page seven, that top right panel. I love how her, you know, it's like a close up of her face. And she kind of brings her hand up to her face and her eyes get really wide. And she says, it's opening. Dear God, we've done it. The doorway is opening. And whoa, what about that panel there in the bottom of that page? Holy smokes. Yeah, <laughs> it's wild because it's like these are, you know, supposedly reputable scientists and they're opening what are they opening the doorway to through dimensions? But, you know, you, you so you think, I'm, I don't know, I'm thinking like astrophysicists. I'm thinking outer space, black holes and wormholes. And then all mm -hmm. of a sudden we get all these monsters and, you know, <laughs> creepy, you know, weird shaped people. And, you know, like there's a, a crow-like thing and something that has wings and then these green naked hooved goblins or something i mean it, it's just <laughs> yeah. a, it almost looks like um richard corbin uh mm. some of his stuff almost like yeah kind of you know doing a send-up to some of his work because yep. you know the a lot of the characters he'd had had big lips and big big facial features you know yeah exaggerated stuff like that yeah, yeah. that does really remind me of that yeah good call there and it's funny <laughs> the caption box says Whatever else Melissa Mann plans to say lost, for is to say lost, for in the next horrible instant, the doorway is indeed open, open to the depths of hell. And we see all this craziness and yeah, the professor, mother in heaven, what's happening? And, you know, they're just, it looks like these demonic creatures are going to just like start attacking him. But then all of a sudden somebody has a fire extinguisher and smashes the control panel and it closes the door. And there's this like green kind of mist still like flowing around. And we see a panel where Melissa is there and it almost looks like some of the mist is kind of surrounding her specifically a little bit at one point. And, you know, she's kind of like has her hand on her head like, oh, like she doesn't know what's going on. And <laughs> uh, Professor Hill says, oh, thank God you could. But what are you doing here? And he says, I've been watching Melissa Hill this just now. I was outside when you two began screaming. I came as quickly as and he's like, Melissa, are you all right? And she just has a look on her face uh, on uh, page nine there. And it's a really good panel. It's a close-up panel. You know, uh, and it looks really, really good. And all of a sudden she goes, I'm fine, Dougie. In fact, I never felt better in my life. And he goes, you sure? You look a little flushed. And she goes, what I am is famished. Now about dinner at 21? He goes, huh? So now all of a sudden we're going to see her change from being, you know, this uptight uh, scientist woman into this party girl. And wow, they really... <laughs> Show her uh, doing a lot of crazy stuff here, right? Yeah, she and the, the change is drastic. But even in the the her facial expressions and the way, you know, her eyes are drawn, 
She seems almost sultry now. Um, but yeah, they go to this restaurant. She's drinking wine and, and eating steak. And he says, you're a vegetarian. Um, so yeah, something, something is very much obviously happened to this woman um, that we did not see as he was smashing that computer with the uh, fire extinguisher. Because she has definitely done a, you know, a uh, nutty professor here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, like you said, she, she, you know, instead of being all uptight and everything, she's out at this, you know, restaurant, and she's getting, you know, hammered, and <laughs> then they're walking around New York at night, and she kind of, like, you know, starts putting the moves on him here, and then all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, well, what's going on here, really? And then all of a sudden you turn the page, and all of a sudden it, it turns out that, like, she kind of, you know, starts, like, ignoring him and just starts, like, you know, having these, like, you know, one-nighters with any guy in town here. It's wild. Yeah, he he, he tells us that she, she spent the night um, away from their apartment or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, she's, she has done, you know, it, it's, she's just gone wild. That's, that's all the, that's all you can say. She's gone wild. Yeah. She's basically like the exact opposite of what she used to be like, you know, yep. <laughs> and it's, you know, he goes to Madame Xanadu and starts telling her all this, like, you know, this is crazy, you know, and then <laughs> she goes back to the crazy lab and now all of a sudden she starts putting the moves on the professor and jumps on him and starts kissing him. <laughs> it's kind of wild. I'm like, what is going on? But then she calls him a creep and pushes him away and then she has some kind of a, you know, what she has there in her hands on page 12 there. And she, you know, starts like smashing into stuff. And, you know, Doug's like, I don't know what's going on here. And she jumps at him and says, um, well, I'm sorry, she said about a name. I guess uh, he says to her, Melissa, for God's sake. And she goes, don't say that name. Don't ever say that name, you. And she jumps on him. But then as she's like, you know, falling to the ground, hits her head and gets knocked out. And he's like, uh, you know, we better get her to a doctor. And this Professor Hill says, I know a good man at Bellevue. <laughs> so, you know, you know, she just smashed her head open. And, yeah, she has been acting a little strange. But they're like, uh, going to send her to a psychiatric hospital. Yeah. And it, this is where the the story seems to go, I don't know, a little over the top. Um, you know, mm-hmm. her reactions are just so dramatically different. And the, the things that are happening are, are, are very feel sped up here, you know, because all of a sudden, you know, in, in two panels, we're going to see Madame Xanadu talking about exorcisms. So, we, mm-hmm. you know, we've already got the idea that or we ought to have the idea that she's been by, possessed by that something that came across the plane. Right. But mm-hmm. if, if to me, this part of the story feels sped up. um, like they were trying to do a little bit too much um, and ran out of room or something. I don't know. It just, it feels to happen very fast at this point. Yeah. You're not kidding. It does. It really ramps up. And it, to me, it, it went just, you know, full on exorcist here. And this is like, you know, like five years after that movie came out, but yeah. you know, it does seem like that's, you know, they went right down there. Cause you know, then, she, you know, we see her at this, you know, hospital or psychiatric hospital she's you know strapped into a bed and then uh they're like we're gonna do this exorcism and hill professor hill's like you can't be serious and douglas looks at him and goes hill get out of my way (laughs) then we see on uh i think it's page 15 there you know she's strapped down in the bed and they have candles all over and then they have 
you know, some kind of book there and he's, you know, reciting this, you know, exorcism and she starts screaming, ah, it hurts, Hampton, Hampton, it hurts. And Madame Xanadu was standing right there too. And uh, Hill's like, stop it, stop this insanity. And he's like, for God's sake, get off of me. And he clobbers him <laughs> and knocks that guy out. And as he's doing this crazy exorcism here, we do see this insane, like, green demon there on page 16 uh, come uh, come out of like come out through her mouth. It's really creepy looking. Yeah, and it, it, it feels like it's very much, you know, aping this story from the, the movie or in the book or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we, we see she's blonde. She's thrashing about. She's vomiting. And then, yeah, you get this green demon that's hovering over them by the end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <coughs> the the last page there kind of had me a bit confused. I mean, the, the dialogue says um, it, his demon, it dives toward Douglas Holt. And you kind of see him standing there. It's like a perspective shot, like over his head. And you see his foot out like, I don't know if he's trying to kick at it or what. And these the green hands coming towards him. And it says, at that moment... The raven-haired woman moves, seeming almost to float across the sweat-stained bed. And it says, connecting with the fog-like image and bearing it down to the hospital floor. And that panel in the middle there, I I can't tell what in the world is supposed to be going on there. I read this, and I went back and looked at it and reread it three times. And it looks like we're seeing... Madame Xanadu from behind and upside down as she is pushing the demon into a black hole. But I I really can't tell. It is a very weird panel and description of what is happening. And then we see that, you know, she's got her jar in the next panel and, you know, the the story wraps up. But Mm -hmm. very confusing as to what happened right there in that middle panel even as i'm looking at it now i i i I just don't get it (laughs) yeah and and pretty much other than this set of panels here across the top of this page i i think the comic is pretty good art wise you know the stories you know it's good it's i don't it's not one of my favorites here in the series but uh it's it's pretty good i didn't really have you know many complaints about it it was not something i'd read you know go back and read over and over again but it was okay you know it it entertained me for the you know 20 pages or whatever but that really threw me off and that would be you know my only nitpick of the whole thing like i don't think uh you know it was uh alcazar's best work there trying to you know draw whatever uh conway was trying to get across there i think that was a a bit of a letdown but (laughs) if we see uh professor hill he just went absolutely insane seeing all this go on he just had a total nervous breakdown the doctor says yeah yeah he yeah we see him his straight jacket in what (laughs) what i guess they're supposed to be the straight jacket um melissa's back to um normal um and it all wraps up in a nice little package my my only real complaint is just how much it speeds up at the end. I mean, we get the whole, yeah. um, you know, she's committed and exercised in four panels or four pages after we had such a nice buildup. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, it yeah, it's a fine story. I, th- there's not anything technically wrong with it, it per se. Um but I just don't like the way how quick it ends. It feels the end feels rushed. Yeah, it did. I totally agree with you there. That just and maybe 
you know, that's it, the, the story was rushed and the artwork was as well. And that's why it's not, you know, kind of up to uh, snuff there with the rest of the book. Because the rest of the book, I, I like I said, I felt like Alcazar did a good job. Everything else looked good. You know, you know, maybe it wasn't you know quite as good as the, the previous issue with the visual storytelling with Val Mayrick. I think he did a much better job of that. But it's still it was it was, you know, you know, a standard, you know, Bronze Age comic book, which is pretty good. But that yeah. part, I think he really failed there. Yeah. And the, one of the things I did appreciate most is that Madame Xanadu feels much more like the horror host in this one is she's just kind of lightly advising the main characters. You know what I mean? She's not yeah. saving the day or anything. So I did, I did like that aspect of it quite a bit um, that she's the story comes first and that she's secondary. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it it's fine. It's not as good as the first issue was, um, but it, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. So not bad again, you know, two thumbs up, but not quite up as high as you know, issue number one, but uh, all right, well, we will move on to Doorway to Nightmare number three, and this is a uh, cover dated May, June, 1978. And again, Mike Kaluta cover. Uh, this is a really striking cover. What do you think of this one? I really, really love this cover. I love this cover. It's I I want to say it's my favorite of the five. Even more, I like it even more than um, the first one. I think mm -hmm. um, just the the look in her eyes, the seriousness, and then the bat that she's holding that kind of looks like it's trying to get away. It looks like it's in agony, and she's so calm, and it's so not calm it i and the blue just really it, it it this is definitely my favorite of the of the five it's just, her eyes are piercing mm -hmm. yeah this is a really really good image uh you know i don't i would love to know what kaluta's inspiration was for each of these covers um i, I i'm assuming the the writers of each of these stories kind of gave him you know, a bit of an idea of what it was going to be about because each of the covers does, you know, correlate, you know, with the stories as well. And like you said, uh, I do love this cover because it's just like the background is like this very, you know, dark blue and her Madame Xanadu is uh, like a light blue color, her skin and, you know, her eyes and hair and lips and like all these like bracelets she has on looks fantastic. And then all it says is, you know, Doorway to Nightmare, the logo. And then in the bottom right-hand corner, it says Blood Red Tear. And we do see on her hand, I don't know if the bat scratched her or bit her, but, like, there's a little red, you know, blood drop there. Yeah, very subtle. Um, I didn't connect that it was going to be a vampire story right mm -hmm. away. Um, it's And she almost looks alien with how blue, you know, with all the blue. Uh, yeah. It reminds me a little bit of uh, uh, Dejora, the Princess of Mars, or, you know, the John Carter character. Oh, uh, yeah, Deja Thoris. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's just an excellent cover. And that, that bat is just so neat. With the, he, You can see his, his claws and the, the webs in his, in his wings. Yeah. It's Teeth just top everything. notch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, this, is, this is great. I mean... It's it's weird. I like the odd numbered covers better than the even numbered covers, which sounds yeah. really weird. But I do. I mean, 
and again, I, four is pretty good too, but two, I think was, you know, just okay. You know, it was pretty good cover, but I, I this one, there's something about this one. And then I even like five too, which we'll, we'll get to that one eventually. But uh, yeah. yeah, this, this one of the first three for sure is my favorite. And number one's great too. I love that. It's a very iconic cover with that, you know, close up of Madame Xanadu's face and everything. But this one is, I don't know. There's just something about this one that's different. Yeah, 100%. All right, so let's dive into this one. And this one, <laughs> the credits are kind of wild on this one. So uh, inside the comic here and then on the Grand Comics database as well, we get, uh, it says, Plot by Bill Kunkel with special thanks to Joyce Katz. Dialogue, Roger McKenzie, which is a, another writer that, you know, you don't hear a lot about, but I really like his stuff. You know, I think he, he was a good writer on Daredevil and he wrote a lot of other, you know, a couple of books here and there, you know, like not too long a runs on anything, but a lot of good stories that I really, really like. So I was happy to see him here. And then uh, art is by Rick Estrada and Romeo Tangal, lettering Ben Oda, colors Adrian Roy, and uh, editor for this one is uh, Jack C. Harris. So uh, uh, let's just jump right into this one. Blood Red Tear. So uh, Margot Hammer needs advice. She seeks advice from Madame Xanadu on a rainy night in New York City. She explains to Madame Xanadu that she's acquired a very strange job and her boss is even stranger. Madame Xanadu asks Margot if she can please bring, air quotes, Victor to her shop as she would like to speak with him. When they visit, we find out that Madame Xanadu knows Victor and his secret. So, yeah, like you were saying, you know, if you look at the cover here, you know, and you see the, the bat here looking like a vampire bat and blood red tear is the name of this. So, you, you know, if you really think about it, it's, you know, they're, they're showing their hand on this one pretty early, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and what about a great splash page here, too? And I, <laughs> I feel like uh, Rick Estrada and Romeo Tangal were like, you know. The previous artists on these issues, you know, they did a pretty good job of uh, drawing a sexy Madame Xanadu. Let's try to one up them. <laughs> yeah, they, they I mean, featuring her this way on the splash page, the way they do. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's this certainly the. The sexiest, most exaggerated um, female form we've seen so far, but the, the way they do the window with the Miss um, Hammer, you know, in the wind and the rain. Um, mm you know, on the other side of the glass, it works, it works really well, um, as the setup for the whole, uh, all of what's coming for sure. Yeah. This splash page, I really like this one quite a bit because like I said, it's got Madame Xanadu there and it's looking very sexy and it's not trashy or anything like that. It's, it looks pretty good. I feel like it's still in pretty good taste. Yeah. And then, you know, along the bottom blood red tear. And then, you know, we see on the table right in front of her as she has the tarot cards in her hand, there's a book there with a candle and then a, a bell there, which is interesting. You know, it looks like the old school school bell that they would ring to be like, all right, kids, come back in for recess on like, you know, Little House in the Prairie or something, there, yep. which is kind of wild. And like you said, you you see, uh, you know, the the, the female uh, lead character, Margot, from uh, outside and it's, you know, lightning and wind and rain, and some clouds. And there's like buildings in the background and a tree and a street light. It's really, really great detail. And then, of course, you know, there's. You know, the window has Madame Xanadu uh, advisor on it. And of course, you know, they got it right. It's, you know, backwards because you're looking at it from the inside. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Great, great stuff. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. And she comes in uh, and, uh, you know, of course, you know, it's kind of the running theme here. You get either one person or a couple coming into Madame Xanadu looking for some advice here. And 
you know, this uh, Margot says about how, you know, she could uh, use some help here. And, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't look good for her from the reading of the cards because, you know, she gets a, a guy that's you know, a hanging man. And she's just like, oh, you know, what is going on? What does this mean? And Madame Xanadu says, there's not much to tell, really. And then uh, we get uh, Margot's background here. And she kind of says about how she, uh, you know, uh, moved to uh, New York to, uh, you know, you know, hit it big. So she's looking for jobs and getting turned away left and right. But, you know, she does get a job and she does make mention that, you know, whoever the agency or employment service or whatever that she used to get the job, you know, kind of offered her this job, but said like, yeah, you might not want it. And some of the previous people didn't really like it. And some of them we never heard from again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> like, who would do that? I'd be like, I'd, you know, <laughs> live in my car before I'd go somewhere like that. Yeah, and you know what's kind of funny in this? So it's it's this she's she's telling her sob story, which is all all working great. She you know she doesn't know why she necessarily came in the shop or whatever. But one of the things that was curious in the in the bottom panel on page three, mm-hmm. as she's going to the this mysterious job, there's a very detailed figure, a blind man with the glasses, mustache, selling pencils. And it's so prominent that mm-hmm. I'm wondering what what's the hidden message here? Why why did the artist put this in with that much detail? Like, is it a nod to somebody he knows? Is it is there a special? Is it an inside joke? Something like that? Because it's it's too prominent not to have meaning to somebody. Yeah, you wonder, is this somebody else in the biz that they <laughs> kind of were just poking a little fun at or something? Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's, it, it's, it is very prominent. I mean, it is like a all like almost, well, some blacks, but then almost like a, a faded like purple or a gray color, you know, the mm-hmm. whole figure. But yeah, it does. They, they did put some special attention on that, which, you know, as far as the story goes, makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, it, it's but it, it stands out. It was something that it made me think what, what, what's the, what are they really doing right here in that panel? And, you know, of course I'll never know, but Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so we're moving right along and as she's telling her story. Yeah. And then she goes into this room where this man is sitting at this desk and it looks like, you know, you know, some millionaire sitting there, but wow, that's, I thought that was a really good page too. there. Page four, especially that bottom, you know, two thirds of the, where it shows this, uh, this guy's like office, I guess it is. Right. Yeah, and I like how the, the how well the text goes with the mood that's conveyed. For the room seemed to wallow in antiquity, and despite the gentle fragrance of smoldering incense, a cold, clammy mustiness made it difficult to breathe. And it the the room is definitely dark tones, um, and you can see the the smoke from the incense or whatever. And it's made to look intimidating and mysterious, and you know, if if it's that old, you you, know, you can, it's it's probably got that library mustiness to it, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's just really well done. It's an it's an excellent panel, and the 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 description is is so perfect for it. it, it it's a nice nice piece. Yeah, and I really love it because you know you don't see a lot of this in comics anymore, where you know they try to just. Uh, just dialogue and then just show what's going on with the art and that's all well and fine but you 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 can't get all of those descriptive things 
that Roger McKenzie wrote just from that picture. And I think that really enhances, you know, that page panel and, you know, stuff like that. The story overall, right? Yeah, it it is very just like the opening splash page. It's very mood setting for the the whole story overall. Um and it really it really brings the reader into the there's a full experience here of you know text and picture that that um it just really makes the uh story work yeah and on page five here this one i was just like oh okay now i get it because uh, up until this point just the the vampire bat there being on the cover and the name of the story i don't know i'm just probably a little thick-headed it didn't really dawn on me yet what was going on here but on page five, you know, she kind of says like, oh, the agency sent me. And he's like, OK, cool. Let's go talk about the job over dinner. And then the two of them go to get in his like, you know, Rolls Royce or something here. And then they go out for dinner at midnight. And <laughs> you see a bunch of bats flying around in the background with the moon. And I was just like, oh, is this guy going to be a vampire? <laughs> well, and, and, you know, I'm in the same boat as you. I I didn't make that connection looking at the cover and I didn't make the connection as she's talking about this job, but at some point she says that he didn't eat. And I'm like, Oh, this is a vampire story. Cool. <laughs> yeah. They have dinner and it doesn't look like they go to dinner at a restaurant. It looks like they go to a dinner at his house. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I don't even know if late seventies, that was, you know, appropriate to go to your, <laughs> you know, maybe your new boss or your new boss's house for dinner. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a, that's a good uh, panel there at the bottom of page five, you know, by uh, uh, Tangal and uh, Estrada where it's, you know, it's at the table and there's a fireplace and a chair and these like curtains and stuff. It's, it's a really good page. There's not a lot of detail on the characters, you know, the two people, but, Everything else has enough to make it look really interesting. For sure. And the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the art in this issue is, while still excellent, it's almost a lot less detailed than the two previous. But mm -hmm. between the colors and the the facial expressions and the, and the story, it's the writing, you really get a, the, like, I don't feel let down by this art. This this art enhances the writing very well in this story, um, even though it's maybe not quite as extravagant or as detailed as the previous two. Yep, I totally agree. And then page six, too. Here's where you really figure out what's going on. <laughs> She's sitting there yeah. and looks out the window, and there's a bat flying around out there. And then, like, literally a minute later, he comes in. <laughs> so you're like, okay, now I get it. <laughs> Yeah, but, exactly. She says he only he only works at night. You know, he has to he does things during the day. So she's mm -hmm. like, you know, she doesn't see him at all. So, yeah, this is where we obviously figure out as the reader that exactly what's happening. Yeah. And Madam Xanadu then, you know, after they're, you know, having this conversation says to her, you know, like, OK, uh, you know, I'll, I'll definitely help you out. And she says, you know, how about you do me a favor? How about you tell uh, Victor uh, to come with you here and uh I can uh, talk to him and see what's going on. She's like, okay, I'll try. And, you know, again, page seven, they're blasting through town to uh, uh, head out. And <laughs> there's a bunch of bats flying around in the background. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. But, yeah, they go see Madame Xanadu, and this is where we find out that uh, she actually knows him, and they've met before. I'm trying to think of where they said, oh, Brussels. 
they met once at, uh, in Brussels and, you know, she knows what's going on here. She doesn't come out and say anything, um, you know, in front of uh, him or in front of, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the character Margo. here, but Margo, but she, you know, she basically says like, Hey, you know, I know you're up to no good here. And, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, I wouldn't say warning him off, but, you know, kind of letting him know like, Hey, I know what's going on here. So you, uh, you better be on your toes. And then <laughs> he takes Margot to a party. And of course, you know, again, you just, they look like all like a bunch of regular people, but uh, I'm sure they're all vampires. And <laughs> I love how the waiter even has all these glasses and it looks like they're filled with, you know, what could be red wine, but uh, it's blood. <laughs> yeah. And, and I didn't make the connection that they might all be vampires until, she she goes to take the drink and he knocks it out of her hand and then I'm like oh this is a vampire party <laughs> yeah and then he starts choking the crap out of the waiter too I'm like geez <laughs> yeah yeah he grabs the waiter as if like the waiter has done you know committed the ultimate sin mm-hmm. and then she's like dude stop you're gonna kill him and then this other woman uh, shows up here and is like oh let's go uh, have a conversation and I guess uh you know, it doesn't show what she says to her. She just says she has a lot to talk about. And then Victor all of a sudden is like, hey, you know, where'd Margot get to? And she sees he sees her and she's kind of like has her shoulders slumped down. And you can tell she's upset about something. And um, he's like, hey, are you all right? She goes, listen to me, Margot. Did she harm you? Did she? And she goes, no, my love. We we merely talked. And he goes, <laughs> damn you, monster. You told her, didn't you? And she says. This redhead, everything, Victor. Ha ha ha. I told her everything. And he says, but why? And she goes, for pleasure, Victor. Pleasure of violating an innocent mind. And it was exhilarating. So this, you know, redhead vampire woman, you know, told her what's really going on here. And, of course, she's, you know, upset about it because she started to have some feelings for Victor. And, you know, it's kind of falling in love with him. Yeah. And, it, <clears throat> you know, it's funny. You really start to feel... um sympathetic to victor here in that he seems to be falling for her uh, mm -hmm. and he you know he's coming off as like the good guy vampire kind of thing um and he's mad at all the people around them and yet he's the one who brought her to the party mm -hmm. but yeah but this this redheaded floor character she's obviously you know somewhat mean-spirited you know telling telling uh margo the truth and everything um, and yeah, I, I, I like the expressions on Margot's face after she finds out and that she's not furious. She's not angry. She's not scared. She looks more sad and let down than anything. Yeah. And this really starts to play into their relationship from here on out for the you know next few pages till we get to the end here where it, it does seem like Victor has feelings for her as well. And she, you know, they're walking home and. She says, I want to be with you, darling, forever. And he says, no, I will not allow that. Not you, Margot. So, you know, he does like her quite a bit. And he likes her enough that he doesn't want her to become, you know, what he is. And it's a really good story here. You know, I really like this part of it. And she says, but Victor, it would be so easy for you to, oh, it's raining. And the two of them run into Madame Xanadu's shop to get out of the rain, which is an interesting little scene here on uh, page 14. Mm-hmm. But it, it's neat in that, you know, the character always our characters are always seemingly drawn to her shop without even realizing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And but 
and it's not done in a hokey way. It's done in a way that feels quite natural. If you were, you know, talking and wandering around in a city, you might find yourself right smack in a familiar spot like this without even realizing it. So it's, it feels very, it's not contrived in any way that they just end up Mm-mm. back where they're supposed to be. Yeah, and I love how Margot looks like Little Red Riding Hood as they come into the shop here mm-hmm. <laughs> on page 14. I'm like, what? <laughs> That's funny. But, you know, they sit down and uh, she gets the tarot cards out again. She says, I see death, everlasting death. And Victor says, there is no need to play games with us, Xanadu. Margot knows the truth. And she says, does she, Victor? Does she know why you have returned here this night? And she says, Victor, what does she mean, Margot? And she says, can't you understand either of you? I love you, Victor, and I want to live with you forever. Is that such a crime? And she says, I know the risks involved, and I'll take them gladly for you, for us. So she's basically saying to Victor, like, hey, I, I will be more than happy to be like you and become a vampire because I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Or forever, I guess, you know, and be immortal. And uh, Victor said, it is not that simple, Margot. I only wish it were, but I have seen that what my affliction has done to others and to me as well. And it's not a very pretty sight. So, you know, he's having this conflict of, you know, liking her, but not wanting her to become like him. So, you know, this is a really, really good scene here. What do you think of this uh, ending scene here? I I really dug it because you really, they really portrayed the sadness of what immortality can mean. You know what I mean? In mm-hmm. that it's not all you know, infinite wealth and, you know, I can do whatever I want. There's a, there's a price to be paid for what happens to a vampire or, you know, somebody who lives forever. Um, and this relationship conflict where she's willing to make the sacrifice and he doesn't want to do it. He, he's the one that's stopping it. It, it works really well. Yeah, it's great. That last scene of, you know, last two pages of them, you know, Madame Xanadu shop here where, you know, he kind of is like, no, I'm not going to do it. And Margot is just like, you know, uh, I want you to like my mind is made up, too. I'm ready. I want you to do it. And she kind of like pulls her, you know, not her dress, but I guess that, you know, like uh, jacket or whatever she had on down and like bears her neck in front of him. And he says, gods, forgive me, Margot. And it looks like he's going to bite her. But then all of a sudden, go ahead. I was just going to say, I love how this page ends where it looks like it's going to happen. Um, and then, you, you know, you turn the page and then. Well, go ahead. Yeah, it's just you that page and, you know, his hand is on top of hers. And then we see, you know, a tear, which looks like a bloody tear come out of his eye. And then it says, for he had forgotten how beautiful a sunrise could be. And I guess he was standing, you know, like close to the window and they had been there, you know, between the vampire party and walking around and then talking to Madame Xanadu all night that the sun's coming up. And wow, there's a panel there where you just see uh, his hand there and it's just a skeleton hand because he's, you know, turning to ash. Yeah. And Madame Xanadu says he loved you for him. There was no other way. And, it, you know, it's that sacrifice. And it she. Um, Margot is obviously upset that he's gone. Um, but, and Madame Xanadu reassures her, but it, what an ending, what an ending to this comic. 
Yeah, this was really, really good. And then the very last panel, holy crap, this was <laughs> this was really wild because, you know, you know, we saw him kind of turn to ashes there. But apparently between the point where the sun came in and he started turning to ashes, uh, Madam Xanadu got a, uh, you know, something to a memento to remember this occasion by. And what is that? Yeah, his head in that last picture, you know, like something out of Futurama. Um it, yeah. that that was that's a little odd there because he obviously he did uh turn to ash in the sun um but yeah it's it's also the the uh, the way to wrap up these stories where her her the jar has her trophy or whatever you want to call it her memento yeah it was really creepy and i'm just like man that that before that last panel i was like oh wow this is a really great touching story and then that last panel is just like Wow, this is really sick. <laughs> Holy yeah. crap. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Madam Xanadu, man, she she likes her mementos from things and uh she doesn't cow you know care how morbid they are. It's one thing to capture a demon in a jar, you know what I mean? But the, a vampire's head? Like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was a pretty wild ending to this one. So uh so overall, you know, what do you think of these first three here? Pretty pretty good here. I think, you know, if I had to, you know, you 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 forced me to pick one. I think I would probably probably pick one um, overall, but you know probably the cover to three. I would pick uh, the cover to three and the story to three as my favorite of the bunch. It would go three one two um, mm. in terms of stories. I just liked how they uh, did this vampire story that kind of I don't want to say flips it on its head because obviously this isn't the most original thing that a vampire, you know, has a, a good side to him kind of thing, but it does take that and that the normal vampire story, the, the, the horror story, and it does do a little, a little bit of a 180, and they do it well. Um, and the art, it's probably not the best of the three, but it, there are certain panels that just convey what's happening um, really superbly. Um, and once again, Madame Xanadu is. Um, just the helper in the story and the the main characters, Margo and Victor really carry you through it. Very all, all good. This is definitely my favorite. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. Again, all three, they're fun reads, you know, even mm -hmm. at the, at, at their, you know, lowest level, if you want to say it, it, they're, they're good. They're good, fun reads. If you like bronze age comics, you know, horror, you know, stuff with, you know, the occult and stuff like that you'll you'll like these yeah you know so all right well that's gonna you know wrap us up for this episode and then you know we're gonna come back and uh, uh eventually do uh four five and then that one shot you know hopefully in our next episode to uh wrap up the uh you know madam xanadu stuff i mean i think she did have some more appearances but for right now i think that's all we're gonna crank out but uh if anybody's looking for you out there where can they find you uh find me on twitter at big ox 737 um, I'm also been trying to be more active on Instagram, same handle, big ox seven thirty seven, and then my blog, uh, comics, comics, comics blog. And we've got a super blog team up coming up that we're, we're all working on now too. So that should be fun yeah. in the next few weeks. Yeah. We got a crazy wild Halloween themed here by the time the, you know, the, you guys, uh, out in the ether here. Listen to these uh, Madam Xanadu episodes. Uh, we'll have already, you know, popped that off. But yeah, it's a it's a really fun one. I'm really looking forward to that one and seeing everybody's uh, 
you know, ideas because it's a, it's a cool subject and, you know, very uh, appropriate for this time of year. Excellent. Well, thank so, you for having me on again. These were fun stories and I'm looking forward to the, the next couple. Yep. It's going to be good, man. We're really going to be good uh, having a fun time with these. And then you and I, you know, before we start recording here, talking off mic a little bit about something else down the road, we're going to do, you know, maybe peek behind the curtain here. Maybe you and I are going to be talking uh, in the near future about some uh, Phantom Stranger as well. Right. Yep. I'd love that. Yep. Great character and uh, some really fun stuff there. And uh, I love to, when it gets to the point where it's a Jim apparel artwork and he's my favorite artist. Yeah, uh, mm. he draws the Phantom Stranger so well. Yep, yep. Just like Gene Colan at Marvel, you know, with the, you know, the sh- shadows and stuff like that. That's Jim Apparel. You know, he knocks that out of the park with Phantom Stranger. So definitely looking forward to that down the road as well. So, all right. Well, once again, thank you, uh, Jeremiah, for joining me. And uh, going to wrap things up here and come back in a minute. As the Apollonius of Tyana, he sees all, tells all, nothing but the truth. It's the chance of a lifetime, ladies and gentlemen. The dark mysteries unfolded. Step right up, only 15 cents. Please keep in line, step right up, 15 cents. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Oh, you frightened me. You wish your future told? You look like Howard, my poor, dear, departed husband. You know he did not die. He simply walked out of your life years ago. Yes. Well, you know everything, don't you? (laughs) If you know my past so well, let's see if you can really tell my future. Be seated. Yes. Five cents, please. Shall I ask questions? If you wish. Oh, this is so exciting. Let me see now. I know. How soon will I strike oil on that 20 acres of mine? Never. But I paid a fortune for that land. You wasted your money. Next question. I can't hear you. You must listen. You needn't be so brusque. It's just a game after all. All right, you naughty man. You see, what I really want to know is, when shall I be married again? Never. Well, what sort of man will come into my life? Let's put it that way. (laughs) There will be no more men in your life. Really? Really? What's the use of my living if I'm not going to be rich, not going to be married again, no more men, for heaven's sake? I only read futures. I don't evaluate them. That's utter nonsense. The future is always nonsense. Until it becomes the past. Well, go on. Do your job. I paid you. Read my future. Tomorrow will be like today. And the day after tomorrow will be like the day before yesterday. I see your remaining days as a tedious collection of hours full of useless vanities. You will think no new thoughts, and you will forget what little you have known. Older you will become, but not wiser. 
stiffer, but not more dignified. Childless you are, and childless you will remain. Of that suppleness you once commanded in your youth, of that strange simplicity which once attracted men to you, neither endures, nor shall you recapture them. Mirrors are often ugly and mean. When you die, you will be buried and forgotten. And that is all. And for all the good or evil, creation or destruction your living might have accomplished, you might just as well never have lived at all. I'm sorry, but you see, it is my curse to tell the absolute truth. All right, everybody, it's going to wrap up this episode. I uh, want to thank uh, Jeremiah for being on again. Yeah, a really good guy. You know, he and I have been covering some uh, anthologies. We're also, you know, covering Doorway to Nightmare here. And uh, down the road here, we're going to be uh, jumping into something else, too. Uh, another one of uh, DC's big... Uh, horror uh, supernatural characters from the 1970s uh you know his uh, work there so uh, be on the lookout for that one all right everybody take care <laughs>